Welcome everyone to Twig 227. We have our Motley crew uh, assembled. We have uh, Laura. I finally bought a couch um, in the house. Hello. How are you doing, Laura? Yeah, it's great to be sitting down. Uh, we are happy that you finally could afford a couch. You know, we we, we raised some money for you. We, we had our GoFundMe for Laura's couch and it was successful. Um, we have Phil. My girlfriend has way too many plants. Um, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm, I'm back from Hungary and it's, uh, it's spring in Stockholm now. It's it's, it's a awesome. joy to be here. And Ethan, I have way too many kids. How are you doing, Ethan? Uh, still too many kids. They're all they all left the house though. It's spring break. My wife took them all out of the house for the recording. So any wow. horrible background noise is me screaming, not children for once. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess we want to start, or maybe we're going to start this in a bit. Uh, we are in the process of interviewing new people to fill the role uh, that has been this big, huge you know, hole in the podcast with Mr. Eric Seifert leaving. Um, so we're looking at different people. So we're going to bring some people on and, we, and we, bring them we in. We should have our first guest host uh, auditioning on air next week, trying them out. Uh, they couldn't yep. make it last minute uh, this week, but they're going to come next, next Wednesday. Yeah. And we're leading towards a UA person, but you know what? At the end of the day, isn't UA just kind of dead? So why no, do we need UA? No. <laughs> Marketing's not dead. Marketing is a big component okay, marketing, of marketing, but not UA. We don't need user acquisition. We don't need to go deep in the in the weeds with privacy completely, you know, I, eliminating all targeting. Yeah. I, I think I I when I'm a listener, I benefit from hearing the marketing expert the video game marketing expertise perspective because it's not my area of specialty and so just selfishly i'd like to get someone who's on the marketing side to fill Eric's yeah shoes. I, you know i'm leaning that way too but I, I actually could make i could argue both sides right because maybe we just should get like some guy from procter and gamble because that's going to be the marketing that we're doing for mobile gaming going forward <laughs> given all the privacy changes all right sorry i'm just i'm just being an idiot or okay. girl whatever um okay i'm too uh, woke for Cress today <laughs> i'm too woke for Cress every day i think yes um okay so i i wanted to give some clarification on this uh scopely savvy thing this is a actually it's not a correction because surprisingly i got very little like actual responses and and corrections uh for the article or the podcast for that matter i mean the article hit like forty thousand views which is a lot for me um, and so basically I'm assuming that I got a hundred percent of everything I said, correct in what I said about this thing. So, I mean, clearly, right. If there's no real comments, but I wanted to clarify a few things. One is there very likely multiple bidders for this deal, right? I think I implied that there wasn't that many interest in the deal. Clearly like someone like Sony who has an investment in Scopely likely was at the table. I'm sure there were others. But clearly, there was only one bidder that bid $4.9 billion, which is quite a bit of money for a mobile business these days. Second, um, I am 100% certain that there is the principals have absolutely crazy retention plans. So the problem with an all-cash deal is that you give all your money, and then there's no reason to keep you, right? There's no reason to stay, right? When you get a cash check for your shares, rather than getting actual shares in the new company, then it is, that was what I was trying to say. It's like, there's not a lot of incentive to stay. Having said that, the principals obviously were 
probably have some kind of um, you know deferred compensation that 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 is tied to them sticking around. So the question is, how deep does that go, and how many of these other people in the company are are, are going to leave um, uh, because of of that? So those are the, the clarifications I want to make. Me again, I, I want to applaud these guys because they work their asses off to get this result, you know, uh, particularly the, uh, Javier and why do I always forget the CEO's name? Walter. Um, Walter. <laughs> and yeah, don't Walter. forget Tim either. T- Tim's been a large part of this too. Okay. Three of well, them. I met Walter and Javier. I met a bunch of the principals before. Um, and, 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 you know, these guys worked their ass off to get this result and they've been at it for what, 12, 15 years or something insane, 12 years. So, uh, good for them. So anyway, I just wanted to like throw that out there. Um, yeah. Anybody, anybody else have any comments on that? Well, just that we we in the past when we've talked about the many acquisitions of different companies from EA and key talent leaving afterwards and and other uh, acquisitions, this always comes up as a topic: the retention of key talent on whether the acquisition is successful over time or not. And so, I think when you think about something as big as Scopely with as many successful products as they do, um, I would imagine that every line of business has key players that need to be incentivized to stick around for the long term with some sort of deferred uh, payment plan or bonus plan over time and not, as you said, take the money and run. Um, Because if you get all the properties and lose all the key people, uh, you might find uh, that the uh, revenue those properties are generating deteriorates pretty quickly. Yeah. Look at glue. I mean, it is unbelievable. Actually, I I was looking at the data recently. They, they, are we getting to that today? I don't know. Anyway, uh, the um, we're talking about glue. EA Mobiles. Uh, Dude, glue is still hemorrhaging. Dude, it's been it's been over a year now. They're still declining like twenty percent every one of their titles. The only thing that's keeping that guy thing alive is that evidently FIFA is killing it for some reason, which I don't understand. But yeah, that's that's still and that is by definition exactly the problem, right? So like you know, these investment bankers sell this asset to uh, EA, but and 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 then their hands are once it's sold, okay, you know, they, they just wipe their hands of it. Right. But it's up to the company to retain employees by, you know, giving them stock or whatever, some kind of incentive to stay. And that clearly did not happen because everyone left, uh, from, from my understanding at glue, Zynga seems to be a little bit, they're holding on to their people, but they're still performing like shit. Um, um, after the acquisition, you know, but, um, anyway, so we just don't want that to be that. We don't want that to happen with Scopely. You know, we want to keep them whole. And what I just want to make this last point: when you actually have stock in the company and it vests over a certain period of time, your incentive is to stay and, and grow and make it. And then and and then obviously, you know, it's going to a lot going to be the ambition of the uh, the, the principals um, at, at Scopely as well. Which, from my understand, um, they are really interested in, in continuing to grow their businesses. So we shall see. With all that money, wouldn't they just, instead of stock, wouldn't they just give them cash over time? Like, stay for six months, get $5,000. Stay for six months, get $10,000. I mean, we no? saw this with Zynga acquisitions, right? So I, it's unclear to me why they wouldn't do something similar in the case of Scopely, especially when you have those three of those, the three of those gentlemen grinding for so long, no upside anymore. Right. And there's no... Now this I could be wrong on, so I'm going to say this is that there's going to be no like equity ownership of the combined the entity from Savvy, right? Like I don't think that that is 
an option, nor is there a liquidity event that's likely to happen from the savvy group's acquisitions. So um, it would all be cash comp in my estimation. Now that I could be totally wrong on. So anybody can correct me that is in the know. Um, but anyway, let's move on because we're going to actually talk about Saudi um, and their now. plans. Uh, Mr. Philip has uh, done some work on looking at that. And I have some intimate familiarity with Saudi Arabia since I lived there for a while um, and know some folks, but go ahead. So actually I, I covered it. So oh, sorry, I, I so no, no, no. Um, I was a little bit curious. Um, so I, I had the question, what's going on in Saudi Arabia because so much is happening. So I just started to do a little bit of a, I wonder, I assume there's people like me that are kind of like, this seems new. There's a lot happening. And I wanted to do a little blurb just explaining. So there's apparently a lot going on in Saudi Arabia. There is high ambition to grow Riyadh as the next big gaming hub and diversify it from oil. So there's Savvy Games Group, which has come up quite a bit, um, and they're backed by Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund. And they have been investing in company, in quite a few gaming companies. So they've put money into Nintendo. They've put money into Tencent. They've put money into Activision Blizzard. They've also been buying companies. We've seen they just bought Scopely for that for almost $5 billion. They also bought ESL, which is an esports company. And then they also have companies that support the companies they buy. So they have, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Valve for esports and then 966 for building out gaming, sort of the support infrastructure needed to build out gaming in Saudi Arabia. Not building necessarily um, buildings, but getting support for relocation, support for events, um, support for uh, digital infrastructure. They also have one first-party studio with, with the Game Live, um, and that's just called the Savvy Games Studio. And the, the Game Live is called Pico. The Scopely deal is the largest transaction coming from their from the PIF, um, and the closest one the closest one in terms of size, second to that, is the three point six billion that they've put into Nintendo over two transactions, which is quite a bit of money. In December, they acquired a, a majority stake in the AR developer Magic Leap for almost half a billion. <laughs> so wow, dude, that's like throwing your money away. <laughs> okay, oh. sorry. Um, so overall, since 2020, uh, the PIF together with the Savvy Gaming Group has allocated almost 17 billion over the course of 15 deals, including, including Scopely's. That is a lot of money. They have been putting a lot of money into gaming. And then, so on the other side, there is an unrelated company called Sandsoft Games, which is part of a group called Agilon and Brothers um, Holdings, which was re recently featured on Neil's mobile game biz, um, talking about their five-year plan to become the next Tencent or NetEase of the Middle East. And again, they are not part of the Savvy Games Group or the Public Investment Fund. So this is, this is a completely different pot of money. Um, David Remesal is their CEO, and he, he seems to have brought on a pretty, pretty experienced team to work with him. Um, they're looking to build out their portfolio by investing in games as well as development teams. Um, what I, why I liked this article a lot. So Neil, Neil asks, um, so what kind of budget does Sansoft have to make all of this happen? And I think this is kind of the dream. There's not really a figure on the investment front, uh, Remisal says. Uh, we prefer not to, at this point, propose restrictions. I think 
how how wonderful would it be to have kind of um, a very very deep pockets to make the investments um, into the studios or the games that you think uh, you would want to you would want to invest in to become the Tencent of the Middle East? And I think that is that is a very cool position to be in. Um, they are focusing on racing, it seems first, because they did buy um, they did buy a small company, a small studio that had a racing game already. And I took a look at the racing subgenre by downloads and revenue uh, on Data AI. And while it doesn't monetize as well as Match or RPG, it has a pretty high amount of downloads. Like I was actually quite surprised. It's it's not the same. It's certainly more than RPG, but it's it's not. It's not as high as match, but it's not falling too far behind match. So I, I was, in, I thought it was an interesting take, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what games they come out with because they are working on some new racing games. Um, and this, this is a, one other comment is, and this kind of relates to what we were talking about. Like you have Scopely, you want to retain their talent. The area does have so the uh, Saudi Arabia does have a little bit of a skill skill gap in domestic talent. And that's going to take years to change. So um, I think no matter what type of studio you're going to work on there, and no matter what your dream is, you're going to, there's going to be a lot of remote working, I imagine, and importing talent until you kind of have a, a critical mass of people that have worked in the industry a number of years to be able to run games that they buy from a Scopely or, or from anywhere else. Any other thoughts? Just one one addition real quick before we get to the reactions. Uh, the Saudi Arabia, I think the PIF, but I'm not sure exactly which the entity was, also bought 96% of SNK, which is a fan of classic arcade games and fighting games is near and dear to my heart. Um, so that was one that, that you missed in your research. They, they own SNK too. Metal Slug and, and King of Fighters is, is what you would know them the most for. I just want to make one comment about uh, Sansoft. So I actually had never heard of Sansoft um, until they in, uh, released a press release or did this coverage with Neil, I think, right after this announcement, which was obviously timed on purpose, right, clearly, to get their name out there. I would argue that anything related to the Saudis is, is related to the government money because that's where all the money is coming from, is from the oil, and, and that's how everything is funded in Saudi Arabia. So um, they may have their own funding of, of, of their own, but it, it is probably related to Saudi in some ways, um, but maybe it's not directly affiliated with the uh, the uh, 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 the sovereign wealth fund. Uh, but anyway, we shall see about that. Uh, how about you, Philip? What do you think? I mean, the, the thing I've been struggling with, and we just talked about the talent problem, is also what the Saudis just see and uh, Scopely and how they're going to grow this asset. Scopely has always been a high revenue company, a high cost company. And if you look at what they've done over kind of the last five years, they've shifted a lot of operations to Europe, mostly in a cost cutting basis. And I'm sure there's some talent out here too. I mean, there's, there's only so much mobile talent in LA. So what is the angle of attack for Scopely? And I think you mentioned, uh, you know, on your short, uh, Eric, that AAA gaming might be a interesting angle for them to go into. But I really, I really struggle to see where Scopely is going to get involved in AAA gaming. And I really struggle to see the growth path that the Saudis see that that Scopely would internalize already. Like, what do the Saudis see that no one else sees in terms of turning this asset into something that's going to be even more valuable than it was previously? I, I struggle to see that. Well, I, I would make the argument, um, you know, in their next stage of growth, since mobile is kind of just an absolute shit show and it should be for the next two or three years, maybe even five years, like, um, I think they have to make some changes and moves, right? And as a private company, it's going to be really hard for them to make those investments because, you know, they're a private company. They don't, 
and the Saudis have basically unlimited funds. Like the the wealth out there is so insane. Like it's beyond American wealth, right? It's just it is a different world out there. And so, yeah, the thirty billion seems like a lot of money or whatever they're talking about, but they have unlimited trillions probably to do an investment. So, if you just get a small piece of that to invest, then they can and and Javier and Walter and Tim are all like ambitious enough to go after it. They could become you know, a AAA publisher and go after EA Activision Take Two in theory. Um, and that's something that, that that would be completely cut off from them before. Right. In my opinion. Right. Impossible. Right. I mean, I, I, uh, there is a lot of fat lying around. I think AAA, AAA free to play right now. Like there's a lot of fat when you look at Path of Exile. I mean, Path of Exile stepped in where Diablo failed, right? And it created a live service where there was none. And there's a lot of games that just hang around on Steam. I know this is our, our favorite theme, theme, Eric, but there's a lot of games that just kind of hang around on Steam by kind of these small indie publishers that are right for someone to go in and really bring product talent, which is Scopely's specialty to the table. It's just unclear to me if Scopely would be ready to take on what it means to ship a AAA game, which is a lot more capital costs and very different timelines than I think Scopely is ready for. It's it's a different ball game. It's always been different yeah, between HD and mobile. Different skill set, different teams, different different whole thing, different publishing, right? You know, performance marketing is not going to be important in in console PC, right? Or not nearly as important. So yes, but again, if they, all right. I mean, I'm I'm trying to figure out like what I believe versus what they believe. But what I believe is that they are not in a good position right now being a mobile only publisher, right? I think mobile is going to be a real challenge, right? So the only option for them is to move to different platforms. And that's part of the reason we're going to get this in a minute with NewZoo is that like everyone's talking about PC is the great white hope, right? Because because mobile and blockchain is such a disaster, right? That that that's all everyone want to talk about. Dude, the PC market is not like some like green ocean, right? But anyway, my point is, is we'll get to this in a minute, but uh, like if they want to make a strategic move and change then and 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 figure out different ways of marketing and investing in PC, you know, SKUs and, you know, open up the funnel, et cetera, et cetera, like they need resources. Um, and, and, and to show a little bit about some 2023 predictions I made, there there is this kind of dual skew idea, which has hung around for a while but not really expanded, which is kind of the Genshin Impact style games where you're shipping yeah. two versions. And they do have this. Scopely does have this. You can play Star Trek Fleet Command on your desktop. I've done it. It just doesn't feel like a native HD experience yet. Right. Maybe that's another angle of attack. You go with something dual skew, but those production values still need to be pretty compelling for that to make sense for a PC audience. Yep, yep. Um, now, the Savvy Group has also said that they will buy a... I don't know why they put the $13 billion out there, but some bigger publishing arm. So imagine if they build, if they buy a, I think we talked about last time, like something like um, Ubisoft or something, which is impossible just to be clear, but whatever, something like that, like a publishing, you know, AAA publishing arm. Then they have mobile and, and console together and they can continue to build. Like, so I, th this is not the end of their ambitions, I would say. Um, and if they, feel like they're lacking something they'll probably go out and buy it if they can oh the only other issue god i wanted to mention this but i don't know for sure is that i, I did look into this for a while for something else other project i was doing is that there is change of control provisions so the one one question i have is whether these licenses they have from hasbro and um you know star trek and particularly marvel 
is that something that they would want the Saudis to own? Um, you know, geopolitical stuff is always complicated and, and thing, but that could be an issue here. I just, sorry, I wanted to put that out there. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting. I think it's great for these guys to be able to build a bigger platform if they so choose, right? Some people said flippantly that these guys are out the door as soon as their contracts are up, right? You know, but I, I don't know if that's the case, honestly. But, I'll so. take a bet against that. Yeah, I, I, I actually would too. They're ambitious people, you know. One thing that I just learned over the weekend uh, while watching the Masters at my uh, father-in-law's on Easter Sunday, uh, just a little bit outside of the scope of the games industry, but I learned that there's this Saudi-owned uh, golf tour, the Live Golf Tour, and a lot of the top uh, players are no longer, because they've accepted these monster checks like a $75 million payout to play in the live golf tour. They're no longer allowed in the PGA. And just uh, it's, I bring it up because between, you know, all these gaming investments and, you know, I'm sure people who listen to golf know all about this. I'm, I'm not a golf person, obviously, but like, it seems that the uh, Saudi Arabian, um, uh, what is it called? The PIF is making a lot of entertainment uh, investments to both broaden their economy and to bring the eyes of the world to Saudi Arabia, right? I think that you can kind of infer that that's part of the investment, uh, purpose of the investment is to use entertainment as a way to bring the eyes of the world to the country uh, while also moving away from oil dependence. Yeah, and one of, you know one of the big players though now we're totally on a tangent. One of the big players he got was Phil Mickelson, dude. That yeah. dude is fifty two years old and competing at the highest level. And crushed involved, it, man. Right, dude, he's amazing, absolutely amazing, and he's not shredded by any stretch. But dude, the guy's in great shape and he looks so solid out there. It's like impressive, yeah. impressive. I was blown I mean, away. T- yeah. Tiger, I think Tiger. I, I'm talking like I know a lot about golf. Uh, from this one one day of watching, but it was so interesting that Tiger, who's younger, made the cut and then said, "My body can't take it," and dropped out of the finals. Uh, whereas Mickelson, who's older, you know, what a I think we should all strive to be in that good of physical uh, uh, shape. Yeah, he's fucking my age, dude, and he's like, yeah. yeah why isn't the Saudi big... government paying you seventy five million dollars? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, no I, one wants me to play. One. No one wants to watch me play golf. That's for sure. Oh, I don't yeah. know about All that. Right. <laughs> All right, Tan- I think tangent tangent over. Let's get back to the okay. games industry. Okay. Right? This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games, or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for games. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. Apps Flyer 
the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them, they know their data. Head to appsflyer.com benchmarks now for more info. All right, so um, another bad news, uh, former Halo director uh, Joseph Staten has now left Microsoft entirely. Um, he left the franchise early in the year but he was planning on staying at, staying at Microsoft as a um, creative officer of some sort. Um, and based on his announcement, he's clearly leaving to go off and do something new, which is great for gamers. Um, but, you know, Staten's departure is kind of like this huge exodus of people coming from 343 after the horrendous management of, of, of the Halo franchise. Uh, Tom French has left. Um, and then there's like this big round of layoffs. But David Berger also left as a lead developer. Um, and Bonnie Ross is another person that's left. Who it, All these people have been in this company for like over a decade. You know, so like these are like the big people. So this is just kind of illustrating the fact that Microsoft is not managing their studios very well. And hopefully when they ultimately acquire Activision Blizzard, they're not going to dr- you know, drive that thing into the ground as well. Um, but, but we shall see. Um, uh, the second Halo's one... looking fried these days. Halo's looking fried these days. I mean, if you look at Steam DB, Halo Infinite right now is is looking at what you know around six thousand PSU. Oof, that franchise is in deep shit right now. I mean, <laughs> that's just, not even. I mean, we've talked about it before. They so just completely screwed that thing up. Um, their biggest franchise on the platform is just absolutely destroyed. Um, still beloved though. And what's ironic is is that they, if they come out with another one, they'll get another shot on goal, right? It's not like these these franchises go away. This is my opinion anyway. You you could damage them, but you never kill them, right? Because they're just so beloved. So, um they'll have another shot on goal. They just need to figure out how to manage it better at the level at, you know, at, at the Spencer level. Um but we Medal of see. Honor sends its regards. Yeah, exactly. Actually, you're right. Medal of Honor did die. That, well, that that's a whole other story which I can go into, but I'm not going to all right. The other thing that was announced. Um, oh, this is where I was going to talk about EA. But EA uh, announced that they're doing a the Sacramento team, which did Galaxy of Heroes, is building the Lord of the Rings Heroes of Middle Earth. Um, and uh, and frankly, the game, I, I, I would love your guys opinion on this, but it looks really childish and anime style. I don't like the, the, the art style at all. Uh, and it seemed really based on old tech compared to some of these new games that are out there like raid and others uh it just doesn't look up to snuff um i haven't played the game yet but we shall see i don't think the metrics look pretty good the metrics don't look good either so i don't know if this is going to save their uh mobile division but what's crazy is that ea has some insane upside on fifa for the last three or four months which i don't really understand and i'm gonna have to look into but um but uh the weakness from glue continues as i said earlier uh 
So anyway, but it looks like things are relatively stabilizing at EA Mobile because of the success of FIFA, right? But everything else is kind of flailing at this point, as far as I can tell. The, the art style looks like it was a function of being in the Galaxy of Heroes engine more than anything else. I mean, it looks extremely yeah. close to that. Yeah. I don't think that's the right treatment for Lord of the Rings. I'll be honest, but what do I know? I'm not an artist. Um, uh, Laura? I, I had two questions. So, um, yeah, so they, as you said, they made Galaxy, Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Um, is there been anything else from them since, or is it just that and now this coming game? No, not, I think they've just been managing Galaxy of Heroes, right? And not since, but before Galaxy of Heroes was a Dragon Age Right, gotcha game right. um that was and, similar to and there's been so so much massive turnover at that studio i don't even know who's really left like as far I, as i understand it. i i know some people that who are there uh who have been there over a decade who moved up right. from uh rea 2d studio in san francisco um but some of those people actually also got laid off recently uh, on, on the topic of this game itself, you know, it's not even the first Lord of the Rings mobile gotcha game that we've seen. There was one, I think it was tied to the second Shadow of Mortar uh, game um, that did not, that I thought was actually a really great game with with nice graphics, movie characters, recognizable movie characters. That game didn't perform very well. Um, you know, slapping Lord of the Rings on something, it's not the strongest brands. They're... they're are as many Lord of the Ring hits as there are failures. And we've even seen it in this genre and historic. And, and this is like a variant. There's new lore. There isn't movie characters. There's a new ring that they made up. Like this doesn't feel like they're using the brand in a way that it's going to attract a lot of organics. And EA mobile historically relies on brand and organic and editorial and does not invest very heavily in UA. And just so I imagine that there are people who think or, or who projections that this is going to be the next uh, Galaxy of Heroes. And I the deck is just stacked against them when you look at this license, how they're using it, how the game looks and and what the state of the market is. Right. Lord, Lord of the Rings does not guarantee um, success or even that high a quantity of downloads <laughs> and again the fact that embracer invested in lord of the rings this is exactly what i'm talking about right this is not a slam dunk license oh. uh the way star wars or star trek not star trek i wouldn't say star trek either yeah. but uh, uh marvel etc so yeah, yeah. well the, uh, the also bit, bit, oh go ahead phil well i mean the irony is is if the amazon prime video series did well they would actually have some upside here but the fact that that hasn't attracted that much attention and the fact they lost this license is, is kind of a double whammy. Dude, I, I disagree with you. I thought that series was amazing. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you were watching. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait for the next season. I'm, I'm what ready are you for your Super my, Mario my, take. My my wife and I, we, we went all the way through it and it kind of felt like we were like by the end, like we were forcing ourselves. It, it was like, well, they spent so much money on it. We we have to keep watching because they spent all this money. But uh, it, it was yeah. good. Not uh, did I, Wheel of Time's better. Game of Thrones is better. Again, this is Wheel exactly time, what I was man. talking about when I talk about this on the podcast. Right. Is that like the, the, the bar for success on this in terms of quality is so high. It's impossible 
to meet the expectations of the consumer. It's a terrible license for that reason. Funny uh, end cap on this. Embracer gets royalties on this game. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck with that. All right. I agree with you. I don't think this is going to be very successful, if at all. Um, But we'll see. All right. So the next quick update is uh, Resident Evil 4 surpasses 4 million copies, uh, which... It's not that big of a deal, but what what it's showing is that there's an incessant, insane demand for console games right now. Like it is like lunacy out there. You know, when when something like Harry Potter is going to do probably like 18 million units, um, it's like they're just it, everyone's dying for content. And with the console selling extremely well, uh, the console business is going to be in a great shape this year. And the next game uh, is uh, Jedi Survivor, which is coming from from EA, which is I think in in March. No, it's not March anymore. Oh, it's May. Sorry. Uh, no, sorry, it's the end of this month, April. And we have Dead Island Two, which will do okay. Zelda is coming in May. We have June. We have a uh, Diablo, Final Fantasy, Suicide Squad, and Stalker. Alan Wake is coming. Street Fighter, you know, and in a holiday, uh, Spider Man, Assassin's Creed, Starfield, and Call of Duty. Um, so again, a great year for consoles, uh, business, uh, this business should be popping, popping by the end of the year. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so buy a console. I'm I've, I love resident evil four. Uh, I've played it through so many times. It's one of the greatest games of all time. And I'm so glad from the reviews that they, uh, didn't butcher this remake that they improved on a classic. Um, cause it's already a great game. They've done a wonderful job with the remakes on Resident Evil 2, 3, and 4. Um, Really excited to play it. It'll be interesting to see if they remake 5 or 6, since those, despite selling well, I think are looked at as low points for the mainline Resident Evil series, 6 especially. So I wouldn't be surprised if they just skip over remaking 5 and 6, and and 7 is the first one that I believe was made in the engine that they've been using for all these remakes, but I mean, there it's really between two, three, and four a masterclass in how to revive your old games and and bring them uh, to a new generation. You know, it's and they included well, it, microtransactions, yeah. which was great. Love love to see it. <laughs> get, get some upside. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just just a masterclass in, in in a quality remake. It's probably the fifth time I'll buy Resident Evil Four by the time I buy I, this. I, Dude, I can't even get through one of those games. It's too fucking scary. There's no way. I've gotten. <laughs> I, I know friends yeah. at Capcom. They give me a free version every time that it comes out, and I just can't get through it. I can't. I just. Uh, we, can't. You I'm, should I'm stream on Twitch. Let the world see what a scaredy cat no, you are. I, that doesn't make it better. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that's fun. Honestly, I mean that's just me, right? I mean, but whatever. I'm 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 a wuss. All right, Super Mario movie. Uh, it's out, and not only is it out, it's absolutely crushing records. It did $377 million in global box office sales and $204 million in domestic U.S. sales between Wednesday and Sunday of last week. Unbelievable. It has overtaken Disney's 2019 hit Frozen 2 for the best weekend it. opener for an animated film of all time. Un- unbelievable. We don't know if that's adjusted for inflation. Just need to get that in there. Uh, and it also, and this is this was interesting. I haven't seen this one reported as much. It also drove the biggest IMAX opening weekend of all time. That's right. It's it's done better than The Dark Knight with twenty one point six million dollars globally, 
unbelievable success. And I am so excited for Hollywood to take all the wrong lessons from this. You have a lot of pent up demand for an IP that hasn't been in the theaters for a really long time. And we're going to see a lot of failed game remakes going going through the Ui Bull era again. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm, I'm buckling in. Uh, let me let me talk about what I think the right lesson is here, because I think that I'm in the core demo for who's I'm actually we're going to go see this as a family twice um, because that that's how we have to manage it, basically. Uh, but Sonic the Hedgehog crushed it at the box office. Mario crushed it at the box office. Detective Pikachu made four hundred twenty five million. That's a pretty big success. Um, and. I think I'm in the core demo because these are all brands that I, as a father, grew up with, have deep nostalgia for. And all I need to see is a Metacritic over 30, and I'm taking my kids to them. But all of these IPs, I'm not introducing Sonic or Mario to them for the first time in the movies, right? They're already, not only am I like a nostalgic fan, they're being introduced to it uh, uh, for Sonic and Pokemon, they were introduced through it from Netflix and then games uh, we play with them. Uh, Mario, uh, it's, you know, the Switch is a family console. My kids play Mario Kart as one of their uh, first video games. And so, like, Super Mario is a family event for us, this movie. And and as a 90s kid, right, it's like hitting me, the purchaser, at my nostalgia point with a brand that my kids um, is still relevant to them. Um, and I just don't know what other, uh, gaming brands have that kind of double factor that can lead to a big success. Uh, Zelda, I think is an obvious one. Uh, maybe a Donkey Kong spinoff. If it, if it happened kind of super, uh, Avengers style, I could see that working. Uh, you could maybe make a case for the Rabbids, though. I don't know that Ubisoft has kept the Rabbids as a, um, relevant gaming brand but that's a thing that is uh it feels making faces but it is surprisingly popular um it's basically the minions so like with a big marketing budget i think a rabbits movie could work um but i don't you know other other game brands don't come to mind as like obvious fits uh for uncharted? this same effect no uh i it's not uncharted isn't a family movie that's what i'm saying prince of persia isn't a family movie like the ones that are successful are are family blockbuster movies. Um, so I don't want to say like not a gaming brand, but like a, a, an aged down Power Rangers, I could see being a very big hit in this mold. So not not being a Hollywood executive, that's the lesson I would take from it is make a Zelda movie. Well, I think, again, with the success of Last of Us and um these sorts of things you're right we'll we're gonna see a lot more shots on goal on the movie side well and it, and it buried dungeons and dragons which is doing really well too like that that movie has a positive 80 percent metacritic it's making money it's uh the, the clones are coming the executives are coming for gaming the movie executives are i can just i can feel them breathing right now uh, you know behind us <laughs> this episode is brought to you by data ai Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. 
It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstruction first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. Let's pause this podcast for a moment because I need to talk to you. That's right, you. Are you ready? Good. So, you're an indie game developer and you need funding to help you launch and market your game. No problem, right? There should be one place where you can get funding and resources, but there really hasn't been one until now. Our friends at Exola have launched Exola Funding Club, which you should check out ASAP. Exola Funding Club is matchmaking service for developers, investment firms, and groups, as well as video game publishers. They have a simple process. Developers apply to join the funding club. Once they're accepted, their applications are sent directly to interested investors looking to invest into video games, games just like yours. It's a win-win situation. Qualified developers get their game pitches placed in front of funding sources, while investors discover curated games that meet their criteria for the investment portfolio. Ready to get started? Just head over to exola.pro slash funding, or find the link in the episode description and apply today. Exola Funding Club, putting the fun back in funding. I've been trying to cover this since before GDC, but unfortunately we've just been doing other things, but um, I'm giving a kind of a shout out to Nuzu who um, I've given a lot of shade over the years to uh, for a variety of good reasons, not saying they were not good reasons, Um, but they released this new free PC and console gaming report for 2023, um, which I recommend that you look through. I think it's insightful in a lot of ways um, and has some downfalls as Mr. Phil has pointed out, but we will chat. Um, the key here is for me is they're using bottoms up forecasting, so bottoms up tracking to help illustrate what's going on in the industry, right? Which I think is far more important and interesting than survey work or these high level, high end forecast tops down, you know, like growth rates, blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and my, my hope, <laughs> my hope is that they leverage these bottoms up analysis to inform their forecasting, right? Although they still have a hockey stick growth for mobile for the next three to five years, which is not correct. Sorry. Um, But the best news out of all of it is they're completely removed these reports on cloud gaming and esports because these reports have basically gone the way of the dodo, thank the Lord, Um, because there was never really a market there to begin with. So like having reports dedicated to it never made sense, as I've said many times. I I heard at GDC uh, over a drink that that you may have had a role in in the uh, death of those reports, (laughs) Mr. Kress. Unconfirmed. 
you know, I, scuttlebutt. I'm influencing without authority. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, okay. Uh, what else? Okay, methodology. So this actually I may be incorrect on, so I, I apologize ahead of time. I, I believe I am correct on this, but not sure. They use a credit card panel, which most people use to estimate dollars, right, in terms of spend. Um, and I believe it's North America and Europe. But I, 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 we will, I will actually have Nuzu on um, and, and talk through this, some of this stuff later. Uh, but they also use a users panel for MAUs, and that helps triangulate um, the, uh, the revenue panel stuff. Um, what does that mean I, though? I mean, this is always the question when you read those things and you say user panel, what do you mean by that user panel? I think they literally do surveys. Like they survey a user, a user panel on a regular basis to see what they're playing and what they're doing. And that's how they, I think they extrapolate and get to the MAU data for the revenue panel. It's literally people's email addresses. They opt in and they get receipts from sony microsoft nintendo ios whatever and they track that and also extrapolate that's what um um companies like uh m science and Yipit do um and i think they're using the exact same, i think everyone has the exact same data set if i'm not mistaken so I, i'm getting a little bit over my skis here but i've been dealing with these data sets for so long you know and but uh but anyway does that make sense I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, even if it is survey data, you know, every every PM listening to this podcast just has an exclamation point above their head because there's so many things when you look at the actual report that just don't make intuitive sense. Like CSGO is at number 10 on PCMAU and you have Valorant and Apex above it. I mean, that's just clearly false. We have the actuals. We can look at SteamDB. Yeah, but you, but, dude, you got to read captions, dude. Don't you like read shit, man? It's like that was US only. Um, sure you you really think csgo is at number 10 look i don't know you i mean you you want to you want to trust the shit from from steam you know like and yes they're, yes it's actuals <laughs> yeah but it's from it's worldwide it's china it's all the other territories that are playing csgo for free right sure but i but i at least know how the sausage is made <laughs> no you don't no that's not true either and they're basing it on MAU, right? Not even on, on revenue, right? I mean, anyway, Steam, so, Steam reports active PSUs. Right, but that's not revenue. That's just number of users. Sure, sure but I'm, I'm just talking about the MAU that they have. Right, we'll get in, to that. We'll get to that. All right, we'll get to that. We'll get to your objections. I'm not suggesting that Newzu has this fucking nailed. This stuff is hard, right? This is really, really hard. Superdata did it for years, and their data set was shit. Even the people from Superdata would admit that it was shit. Right? Yeah, that's it, kind of the it, point, though. <laughs> no, it's not because it's it's better to have something that you can track over time. If the methodology is wrong, the methodology is consistently wrong, and therefore you can actually identify trends. But you're not like putting your finger in the air and saying, "Oh, yeah, PC market is amazing because of MAUs are going up on Steam." You know, that's just it's it's nonsense. Anyway, so I I appreciate the fact that they're making a fucking concerted effort to do this to replicate and to make something. To replace uh, super data because it's a sorely missed um, tracker for this business, right? A source of truth of some sort. <laughs> okay, and it'll improve over time, right? Let's just say, let's just hope. Okay, all right. Uh, the report was free, so you can download it. Um, it's rather long, so I'm just going to point out a few highlights that I found interesting. Okay, first of all, uh, the console and PC business was down in 2022, as we all know. Uh, primarily because of lack of hardware on the console side in particular. 
Um, the decline and also the tough comps from COVID. The decline in engagement was 23% according to this this data set. Now, I think that is interesting because that exactly what I was tracking was like these decline in, in engagement on, on consoles. Um, so that was interesting. Uh, more games are using services models, obviously, and and most of the, the big publishers are basically just doubling down on their existing franchises. Um, and and they believe or they contend that in-game advertising is going to be a viable alternative. Absolute yuck, yuck, yuck. So this is their next report is advertising in console PC games. And I'm going to throw up all over myself. Um, let's see. PC console represent 50% of the gaming market in North America and Europe. Uh, I think that's an important thing to understand is that it is a huge market in these part, these territories in which we all primarily target, right? China, Japan, Korea, obviously different world, different story, different games, different dynamics. So that's actually an important one to know. Um, and this is a controversial one because I think, again, people keep talking about the great white north of PC is uh, PC is growing at 3.6 calendar growth rate over the 2015 to 2022, while console has been growing 7.8%. Um, so uh, the reality is, is that, you know, PC market has been stable and, and constant for like decades, right? I mean, it was like it, the same games are doing the same revenue. And I don't know. I don't know why everyone kind of thinks that the PC market is so frothy, right? But, but you know, we'll see. All right. Um, any other comments before I continue? I'm just basically rolling through. Or do you want to do it at the end, Mr. Phil? Keep, keep rolling. I'm liking All the right. summary. All right. Uh, now let's talk about subscriptions. I thought that was an interesting piece when they talk about, they do subscription revenue distribution and you find that subscriptions are taking maybe one, 3% of total game revenue, uh, is even when they break it down for, for PC console. So I think that's just another knock to the subscription truthers out there that this thing is not changing the industry quite yet. And it doesn't look like it's anywhere close. And you're saying, sorry, subscription is that, um, like, uh, the game pass, uh, or the PlayStation Network subscription, got it. Because yeah, I mean subscribe. Well, even uh, some people do use and more on mobile um, uh, than other platforms. Subscription is part of their revenue stack. Like we did it really well on um, Legendary, and a lot of people were using that subscription to uh, have a transaction where you give people a lot of value at a low cost to keep spenders retained over time, right? Not necessarily a big revenue generator, but instead a big, um, retention mechanic for your high spenders. Uh, and a lot of games, I mean, something that's not captured in subscription is that a lot of games use a battle pass system very similarly to how you use a subscription, which is a regular, predictably priced, extremely attractive, more retentive than monetization uh, purchase, right? And so that's not captured in the data at all, but I think the subscription style season pass or monthly pass purchase is very attractive and a really good part of your revenue stack um, in a successful game. More again, more for retention than for actual revenue purposes. Um, I would also. That's weird. It shouldn't be that small, though. I mean, even if you would. Oh, include I thought Xbox. something was better than nothing. <laughs> I wonder I, if I, they're I, not I, I, capturing. Like, I'm a. I've been a PS Plus subscriber 
for like they must a decade, not be ca- right? They're, yeah, not, they're capturing not capturing that. that. They're not capturing no. Nintendo Online. They're probably only capturing the higher tiers as well as Game Pass. I don't think they're capturing Game Pass either because the dollar yeah. number would be huge. You know. Right. Anyway, I'll have to ask. We'll ask him about that on if we actually get him on next. The podcast. Cress's corner with Nuzu. No, they, they they wanted to do it. I, I I'm more than willing to do it. Um, but it was so funny. The guy who actually wrote the reports on um, uh, on streaming, <laughs> I he, you could clearly see he doesn't want anything to do with me. But I think we can get someone on them on with it. All right, moving on. They um, listen. I I know they listen. Oh, I know they do. Um, <clears throat> Well, I don't. Okay. I don't think we can leave without without talking. To me, what always seems to be the story that's buried, which is free to play, is winning. Free to play continues to win. Free to play continues to grow. They talk about how many releases have been free to play. How many of the top grossing games have been free to play? That is the story and continues to be the story. Not Web three, not AR, not VR. It is free to play that is winning. That is the empire that is growing, and it seems to be con- completely ignored. No, that's not true, though. Free to play is not. No, I I would actually disagree. I think the the data kind of suggests the opposite. It's not free to play games that are really dominating, or it's right, right in the report. <laughs> no, it's it's mechanics around premium games that are that are dominating. All right, let's get to that in a minute. All right, let me just finish this thing. All right, um, okay. Then they went into the demographic thing, and I I have some issues with the demographic stuff. And maybe it's my own bias that's coming through, but they say 40% of all PC console players identify as female, right? Um, and then 70%, which may, 70% of core gamers are male, right? And so, and then while only like 40% of all gamers are male. So the, the majority of gamers are female, but only uh, 40% of the uh, PC console gamers are female. So well, I think... It's it's pretty common for females who play games not to identify themselves as core gamers, even no, this if is, by hourly patterns. No, but it's, this is by hourly. They're segmenting by, by hours, hourly, though. Yeah, by, by hours played. They don't actually ask them to identify themselves in that way. But I just don't know exactly what all these females are playing. I, I and maybe maybe the again, Sims, my a free to play game. Yeah, the I, Sims. No one the is. Sims is not a free to play game. You. Yes, idiot. it is. It just no, switched to free to play. Yes, it, it did. It is not a free to play game. You have to pay for all the content, dude. That the, the, and the it main is. game has been went free like only a few years ago. That's not uh, a free to play. Yes, game. Yes, it's called got, an MTX. Okay. That's what MTX is. Guys, guys. Oh, I think I, if. That's idiotic. Go ahead, Laura. You, you're probably about to say the same thing I am. I'm guessing. I, I, maybe not. I, I, okay. Anecdotally, I would. I, I, there are, there are women that do play. I mean, I know my, my partner's daughter plays Valorant. And so I, I would, I would imagine if you sliced this by age, you would see PC console yeah. would probably skew quite high for women that are a bit younger would be my guess. Right. I, yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. And, I was going to make the same point, which is the oh. answer to what games are female gamers playing the same games as male gamers are playing. Right. Especially no. among, I, I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that, that is I, true I, I, at all. That's my problem. Go to fucking Twitch. Go watch Valkyrie. Go watch Pokemon. Like that's a, that's a, this that's is a not... separate demo, though. That's a very particular female demo that goes on Twitch. I'm just saying. Like, I, I, with, I think I think it's PC. They're not they're not playing the Sims and Barbie games only. The way no that no, and that's not forget my little pony. What I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying forty percent. 
It seems high. Uh, but anyway, what, I think it's interesting. I think, and then if you separate console and PC, I think that the the, the differences will be will be relatively obvious. Because I mean, I know for a fact what the demo breakdown are on consoles, and that it's not that right. It's not forty percent. It's more like fifteen to twenty percent. So whatever. Anyway, um, all right. Next one. Obviously, gaming is becoming more social. That that's obvious. Cross platform is becoming important. Uh, cloud gaming may accelerate cross-platform play. Yeah, fuck off. Okay, it's not doing shit. All right. Um, I well, I, I the the one thing I would <laughs> say for this is that the only way to access Fortnite on the phone is either through cloud gaming like GeForce or uh, Xbox Game Pass or by an Android sideload process that isn't extremely easy. So I think you could make the point that f- or make a guess that Fortnite by itself is making some penetration of cloud gaming uh, on the phone. Just the, <sighs> just because it's not on the Google Play Store and it's not on the iOS. The, the, the content that's created for PC console is not suited for mobile devices, just full stop. Unless it's fucking, you know, Steam Machine, whatever the thing, and, and, and uh, Switch. Um, all right. Console market is growing in the next three years by 10%. A year. Is that true? That seems wrong. But PC market is flattish, which is ironic because everyone's targeting PC again um, as the opportunity. But consoles really where it's at, where all the engagement's going to be over the next three years is kind of what they're implying um, versus PC, which is going to be more of the same and, and flattish. Um, so that's it. That's, a, that's my quick takeaways from it. <laughs> I again, I think it's a great report, and I think I want to importantly, I put more importantly, it has uh, it's something they're going to track ongoing um, and improve over time, um, and it provides an alternative to super data. Finally. The one, the one thing I want to say on was on the cross platform mm-hmm. um, topic because I know that's it's a topic that came up in conversation a lot at GDC, came up in this report. I want to tease that the next uh, episode that's going to be in the feed after this is a conversation with Andre Van Roon, who runs the League of Legends studio at Riot. And he oversees in his portfolio League of Legends, Wild Rift, and Teamfight Tactics. And he dropped some great wisdom for people looking at cross-platform development and play for the first time at the very end of this interview. So look out for that in the feed. It's a great interview. And I know a lot of people are talking and thinking about cross-platform. And just those five minutes at the end, uh, a lot of uh, wisdom from a company that's done it to success in two different ways with two different games. All right. Any other comments, Mr. Phil? I do want to push back a little bit on the idea that something is better than nothing because this, this to me bothered that bothers me because that isn't always the case. It really depends on the question you're trying to ask. So to give you a small example, Will Lutton who is a great individual. He used to run Department of Play, which is a consulting agency, and now he has a startup. He wrote a blog post a while ago comparing, I believe it was, the ARPU numbers from Fortnite to the ARPU numbers to Apex Legends. And I believe it was either Nuzu or Superdata at the time. Superdata, by the way, is, is now gone um, due to being consistently inaccurate. And that's not one why of the, they're gone. That's not <laughs> why they're gone. Well, Nielsen acquired uh, them and killed them. Yeah. Well, I mean, that Ignore you don't make them. enough money. I mean, you're going to get killed. Um, no, shut up. You don't know the story. If you don't know the story, just stop talking. Anyways, so they were. He was able to compare the two numbers, and it found he found that Fortnite 
kind of higher ARPU number than Apex Legends. And I can I can tell you as someone who worked at EA, that was complete and utter bullshit. And so his, yeah, his bullshit. entire analysis ended up being centered around that incorrect fact. And so if you were reading this article, you would get an incorrect conclusion about what's going on in the monetization trends. So I would say there's a lot of instances where something rather than nothing leads you to incorrect conclusions, which can affect your business. So it really depends on the questions you're trying to ask. Would I use this to get a pulse on the market? Sure. But I think you have to take it with a very big grain of salt. Okay. Look, man, I've been, we're, this is my, this is my whole shtick for the last four years on the stupid podcast is to poke holes at this bullshit, right? I'm a hundred percent, a hundred percent with you on this, right? But we need at least one source to just talk about yeah. it from the bottoms up perspective. I cannot stand these high level forecasts of nonsense that have no basis in reality. And so I think this actually gets us closer to that. And I, and I agree, but, and, and then part of it's like, like your racing comment earlier, it's like, oh yeah, let's build a racing game for console, right? Dude, that's like 3% of the market. No one gives a shit about racing anymore, right? But you need to know that, right? But, uh, you know, it seems the most obvious thing, let's build a racing game. Everyone loves racing, everyone loves cars, but it's not a big market. Or, or the one I always use, the example I always use, let's build, let's build a PC game. Let's build a MOBA. The MOBA market is absolutely massive on PC. It's a, it's a wide open space. No, it's not. It's concentrated on two games, right? And you're never penetrating that shit. Don't build MOBAs, you know, like, like that's the kind of like high level stuff. And then you can get deeper and deeper into it. And, and you're right. And then you started getting into imperfections of the data, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately it gives you some least a starting point to like, to yeah. look at what the opportunities I, are. I think uh, what we're experiencing right now to acknowledge where each of your guys viewpoint is coming from, Phil is an academic and an economist, and he is searching for scientific truth and accuracy. Cress, working on the inside in M&A, needs some form of intelligence, some form of data off of which to make forecast decisions, recommendations, etc. And so uh, Cress is acknowledging right now, it's not perfect, but I need something to do my job with, right? Exactly. And we're never going to get the scientifically, like even even internally at, at these companies, they don't have perfect data on how things are performing. I, I'm not right. I'm not suggesting that. All I'm suggesting is t- take this for macro. Don't take this for micro. Yeah. Rely, rely on the actuals for micro. I think that's fair. The, the error think, bars increase the more you zoom in. Yeah. That's true. All right. Have a good one, guys. Next, see you next week. Talk soon, everyone. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructorofun.com slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.